Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White. Happy to have you with us today and happy to have a full crew here in studio. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning. Morning, Brian. Good morning, Brad. Philip. Hey, Brad. And Bob. Hello, guys. We're happy to have you guys with us today because we've got several good topics, including a listener question about baby calf not doing very well and what are some of our options or considerations. We're also going to talk about hidden operational costs, some of the things that may be affecting your operation that you may not see easily, and grass tetany or down cows as we get into spring grass season. Because it's spring grass season, guys, you, as you know, it's the start of baseball season, and some of us are – I'm helping my kids. I'm not helping much, but I'm helping the kids coach in the baseball team. And I wanted to know, it made me think, because I have no skills other than maybe teaching them to duck out of the batter's box quickly if I throw a pitch to them. What position, if we're going to start our own baseball team, I want to know what position each of you would play and why. And I'm calling right field already because that's where I'm going. So you can't have right field. Bob? Well, when I was a kid, I played second base because they put the little slow kid at second base. <laughs> when I when I uh, played softball, I they actually moved me to third, and I really like third because you get like one hit every once in a while, and it's coming down like a shot. And, you know, there was about a 50-50 chance I might come up with it. So it was a good spot for me. You must have had a good arm. I did have a good arm. I could get it first in a hurry. But. All right. So Bob the arm at third. Philip. Um, I don't know. In high school, I pitched a little bit. I played first base a lot of times. That's and where they put the out- good athletes. And then some out- outfield. Yeah. First first base is, that makes perfect sense. He's stretch, right? Yeah. He can mm-hmm. reach out and catch it. So, Dustin? Like Bob, growing up all through middle school, I was playing second base. I was really small. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the time I got to high school, though, I moved to outfield and I played right, left, and center. Speed. You, you had speed. Yep. Yeah. See, they put me, I was in right field because of no speed or skills and they had me shift over like almost behind first base or even out of bounds if they thought the ball might be coming that way is the question which position did you play or would you play now because there's been a difference in mobility (laughs) high school yeah no i i played i played the hot corner i played third uh, pitched a little bit now i think i'm pretty limited to first base yeah first base coach (laughs) (laughs) first base coach You guys are awesome. Yeah, so, well, let's talk, as we were talking about baseball, green grass, it's that time of year that we will see as grass greens up, and depending on what region of the country you're in, you may have already passed a little bit of this time, but that green grass can lead to some metabolic issues that we see, especially when coupled with spring calving cows. So we have spring calving cows, we have green grass, and we have a syndrome that can result in cows that are down and don't want to get up. And, and Bob, I'm going to start with you and maybe explain to us a little bit. When I say grass tetany, what's going on in those animals? Well, they're basically low in some of the minerals that are really important for proper nerve and muscle function. So think of the minerals that, you know, calcium, phosphorus, magnesium, as well as some others. And so you're exactly right in that there's kind of a, a worst case scenario for a cow that calved, say, in March or April, she's at peak lactation right now as we have grass turnout, and the grass is low in magnesium. And so you've got an animal that's putting a lot of mineral. So milk is a high mineral fluid, all right? So not only calcium, but there's other minerals going into that milk. And so we have a pretty good body drain of minerals, and the forage itself, in a few weeks as the soil warms up and grass levels of magnesium come up, it's not as much of a problem, but right now, this time of year, early grass, 
you got high demand from a lactating cow and low supply from the forage. So, Brian, what, what would you expect to see, like when we talk about potentially affected cows, what are some of the signs that you would see in those animals that may make you think, hey, this, this syndrome that Bob described might be going on? Yeah, so, I mean, we, it got its name tetany. So tetanus, which is a syndrome, it's, it basically causes very rigid muscles. And so depending on how severe the mineral deficiency is, we kind of see stage, I don't want to say stages because it moves pretty rapidly. So, uh, but you see cows, usually it starts with kind of general, just weak. They look like weak cows, right? They aren't able to get up. They might have stiff muscles. They might be tremor. They might have muscle tremors. And so those are kind of the, the signs that we would see. And it, it's a, we got to intervene now type of disease. So um, if you're seeing those signs in a cow, that's a, that's a call your veterinarian right now kind of syndrome. Um, and, and we, and Bob mentioned, you know, several minerals, calcium, magnesium, phosphorus, they, even though grass tetany itself is a magnesium issue, low levels of any of those minerals kind of present, they all present the same way. And it's all, all of them are emergency situations. So, and once you see it in one, then you, then you kind of know, Hey, we're in that time of year where peak lactation, low mineral in the forages. Now we can do some other things on a herd basis to try to prevent the disease um, in the rest of the cows. But if you see that, that's a, we need emergency treatment right now. The, the other thing I might add to your description is once in a while, and it seems more common with this syndrome than others, they'll be down, but aggressive. So you, oh. so you have to have to really watch out because some of the other syndromes, so just low calcium, like we would think of a, a milk fever, often they're down and docile. Uh, sometimes with grass tetany, they're down and the opposite of docile. And so you just have to be a little bit cautious as you, as you approach and get them treated, but you're absolutely right. The sooner the better. And if we, if we have one of those, there are some treatments to replenish some of those things that they may be low on, but then you mentioned, I got to think about the rest of the herd. So Philip, I'm going to turn to you. What, what are some of the things that maybe even better than after a down cow and I've treated her before the down cow, what can I do to prevent this in my herd? Well, so back up one step and th take about the forage for a little bit. It's different in different forage species. So it's the young, flush-growing grass, and it's more prevalent in cool-season grasses than it is in warm-season forages or native forages. And it's more prevalent where we heavily fertilize those cool-season pastures because what part of what happens is not just the low magnesium in the grass, but a high potassium concentration in the grass, which antagonizes magnesium and calcium absorption. Um, in the gut of the animal. And so, you know, trying to manage maybe some of those things to where we were not affecting that. Having legumes in your pasture is a way to help prevent it because legumes are much higher in calcium and magnesium than grasses are. So that helps. Um, but the main thing that we would do to, to prevent it would be start a high magnesium mineral supplementation, you know, two to three weeks prior to green uh, green up and turn out um, on pasture so that those cows are basically what we're doing was we're we're overcoming the antagonism with a higher level of magnesium to make sure that we're getting enough absorbed um, out of the diet and any any challenges with switching from i'm feeding my normal mineral and you said switch to a high mag mineral any any challenges or differences i should expect when i switch between the two so 
typically magnesium chloride is what the form they will use in those and it is has a very bitter taste to it and so cattle will not consume it unless you use some kind of palatability agent so lots of times those minerals are going to have a lot of more molasses in them Um, so they're going to be a softer block if you lots of times it's in block form but it's going to be a softer block and so they're going to consume a lot more of it a lot faster because it's softer and it's more problematic in rain because you get a lot of rain in the springtime it's going to deteriorate that block a lot faster the rain has not been a problem here. No, not here. <laughs> Hopefully sometime. Hopefully somewhere it is. So, but, I, but I think absolutely right. So as, as you guys mentioned, low magnesium, but that's not the only thing. It's the high potassium in the forage. So the ways I'm going to battle that long term, a mix of cool season grasses and legumes, which is good for actually several things beyond just grass tetany, <laughs> and put out the high magnesium mineral early anything else you guys brian or bob you want to throw in yeah just so we i'm going to go back to the treatment part too and a lot of time so one of the treatments for grass tetany is is intravenous uh, mineral infusion. so there's formulations that typically include calcium magnesium phosphorus so if and, and again you, you really need to work with a veterinarian on this one because if you administer those treatments too quickly uh, the calcium, you can actually get a condition called stone heart. You kill the cow because of a, of a rapid infusion of calcium. And so, um, again, it's, it's an emergency situation. You need to get them treated quickly. You need to work with veterinarian, but if it's something where, you know, the veterinarian says, this is what you need to do. That's one more thing to be aware of. And oftentimes what we do when we administer those treatments is, you know, we have somebody with a stethoscope listening to the heart and and what you'll hear if the heart starts to slow down you need to stop right away did you say the condition's called stone heart stone heart yep yeah which doesn't sound good no right no. <laughs> just from the name you're yeah. going yeah that's no good so uh i think that's great advice guys and and as you try to prevent those but keep an eye out for them and if you see one as brian mentioned talk to talk to your veterinarian get them to come out and visit with you dustin you you came out and you had a graph a couple weeks ago that was in our BCI weekly e-blast. If you don't get that e-blast, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu, and we'll send you in it. And it sometimes has summaries from the podcast, but also summaries from research that people have done and things that they've looked at. And Dustin, recently, you did one on really kind of the hidden costs of the operation. So t- tell us a little bit about that. So yeah, Brad, in that specific newsletter, we were talking specifically about depreciation. And so it's, it's the hidden cost. I mean, it's, it's a real cost. I mean, producers feel it. It's, it's a non-cash cost. So I think that's the hidden component of it. They don't see maybe they're not cash is not leaving uh, at the moment. And so they're not necessarily seeing it that non that hidden, hidden cost. It's definitely something people need to take into account you know in that in that figure it wasn't the top two three most highest expenses i think we got feed pasture feed interest costs feed or pasture costs were you know higher than that but then depreciation is every operation is going to be a little different because again depends on you know the purchase price the salvage value how long they're productive so all the other things feed pasture cost interest i write a check for depreciation i don't and maybe Give me a as, as simplistic as possible a definition of depreciation. Well, I, just to follow up, interest we do write checks, but the way it's calculated that in that particular graph, there's also opportunity costs, which would so we got to keep into account the, you know, if I'm 
maybe I own my land or maybe I own the cows, I'm still incorporating that interest or an opportunity cost uh, in case. Great point. Because I could invest that money in the stock market. I could have done something else with it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So part of that hidden cost that you described earlier. And we can come back and talk about interest costs because I think there's been a lot of movement in the last 12 months from that front. So going back to you, your question was about depreciation. What is depreciation? When you have an asset, you know, over time, it's where tear becomes obsolete. So the way I think about it is a tractor or maybe a pickup truck, right? You drive that off a lot, it's worth a lot less than it was sitting on that lot. And over time, the more miles you put on it, it starts to break down. It becomes obsolete. And that's no different than a cow, right? You know, you take a three-year-old versus a seven-year-old versus a 10-year-old, the productivity uh, declines. And so that's what we're thinking about depreciation. All right. So I I do think that my, my problem is, as a beef cattle producer, what do I do about that? It seems like if purchase price, sale price, and years of length, the prices, I, I suppose on the sale price, you want to keep your cow in good body condition, sell her as a, you know, not too thin, you know, so you, you can picture a cull cow that's worth a lot more than a cull cow that's worth a lot less. But then maybe to me, and I'm interested in reproduction, one of the best ways to make sure my depreciation costs are low in a cow herd is we'll get the cows pregnant every year, have a high, high fertility so that many of my cows actually have a multi-multi-year time frame in my herd because if i'm calling a lot of cows at two three four years that's their purchase price minus their coal price divided by only a small number is that am i thinking about this right is it all reproduction is everything about reproduction (laughs) well i wouldn't say i mean there's three components that go into that right the purchase price and so that's probably a lot that's going to be market driven right we're going to start to see higher replacement cow or replacement heifer prices now and in the next you know near future uh, coal market, again, you can do a few things, right? You, do you get rid of them right away, or do you maybe try to overwinter them, put a little more, get the body condition and score up a little bit? Uh, so those are a couple things I think you, as a producer, can account for, can adjust. Uh, I don't, probably a lot of that's market-driven. But then the productivity, right, the, how long is she going to be in the herd? And those are probably things you might have a little more control over. Yeah, so as you think about planning that, and there are different ways to – maybe calculate depreciation. And Philip, I know you've done some work where you've talked about, uh, is it the same that I think about equipment versus cattle? Are there different ways that you would think about calculating this if you're on a cow herd? So well, I'm going to say something and I'm going to let Dustin tell me if I'm right or wrong, but there are different ways to calculate depreciation. Basically, is the value of that animal decline the same amount or the animal or the equipment or whatever decline the same amount every year or does it decline more at the beginning than it does toward the end of the life or more toward the end of the life than it does the beginning of life and so so when you're when you're looking at your year-to-year costs and and the equipment or the the age of your cow herd or things like that then how you calculate that makes a big difference on how your balance sheet looks and how your, your expenses look. And so you want to probably look at how the value of that asset changes so that you calculate it the right way. And there are lots of different ways to calculate depreciation that I don't even understand. And, but we, those are some concepts to think about when evaluating depreciation of assets. Yeah, and I'll just follow up really quick. I, I think what Philip's talking about is kind of more of a, from a management standpoint. So you got management depreciation, then I'm going to argue there's tax depreciation, right? The IRS tells you how you're going to calculate it, what the useful life is, et cetera. 
but I think he's talking from a management. So I'm keeping my own books and, he, and there are lots of different methods. You can calculate depreciation is, is more depreciation early in life, or is it maybe even across the life of the asset? And so it depends on, depends on the asset, how long, how productive, whether, what kind of method you want to use. But I think that's from a management standpoint as he was referring to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the points you guys are getting at is this can be a hidden cost, but you need to calculate it in some way to take it into account for your operation. And you may have to do that for tax purposes, but you may also want to calculate a little bit different as you're trying to manage and decrease that depreciation. And I mean, we say, keep saying it's a hidden cost because, I mean, you got to remember at some point you're going to have to replace this asset. These, are, these aren't assets that decrease in value like land. You're going to have to replace this. And so you want to have that added into your operational budget every year so that you're building up that cash to be able to replace it when the useful life ends. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears because we had a really good listener question. And the, and the question was related to, they, they've got a herd of cows. And one of the calves that was born, the cow wasn't into being a mom very well. So the calf or the calf wasn't doing well. So the calf nursed a little bit, but then he hung back and they eventually pulled him off and were bottle feeding him. And Treated him with a, a couple things, potential supplements, some vitamin supplement, electrolyte supplement, some other things. And, and the question was, is there anything else I should do? Because it doesn't seem like the calf is, is really doing that well, maybe a little depressed, uh, has a little different demeanor than other calves. So, Bob, have you seen anything like this before? Yeah, we have a, a term for that, basically kind of a dummy calf. And, and that's because that's kind of what these guys are. They're not real aggressive they they seem at first glance you know fairly healthy but maybe they spend more time laying down they're they're not aggressive eating or, or nursing and so that's kind of what they all look like but there can be a number of different causes of a calf ending up like that and usually we're talking about you know pretty young calf and one of the causes that we know is uh, calves born to heifers are more likely to be a dummy calf than calves born to cows and my assumption is well that means that there's a there's some undiagnosed difficult births. So that, that birthing process is prolonged. Probably that calf is getting some oxygen deprivation uh, during that birth process. So it didn't show up as a full-out dystocia, but maybe if we had been watching more closely, maybe we would have identified a dystocia. But it is born, and it's born alive, but it was a, it's an oxygen-deprived calf. And as you can imagine, if that is truly the case, there's not much you can do about that once they're born. There's other things. We know that really cold weather are associated with a few more dummy calves. We know some diseases that can can cause dummy calves and even some nutritional uh, issues. Brian? And there are certainly some other things that can look like this. And the, the question wasn't super clear how old this calf is, but you know, when you, once you have this, like Bob said, that there's really, it's, you just got to give it some time and hopefully some of that reverses on its own, but he, he probably is always going to be a little slower. He may perform okay. Like he might be fine, but it's just, it's probably going to take him a little longer. I think what they, what they said they've done already is probably what you can do. And, and now it's just about good nursive supportive care. Um, you probably can't put him in an environment where he's going to have to compete for feed or things like that. Um, you just, He's just going to, he's probably always going to have look a little different than his peers. Um, but there's, there's no reason to, to, I guess, give up, so to speak. It's, it's just going to take a little more care. Well, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. So you want to pull him off and it, and it sounds like they made a wise decision. If you see one like that, he's not getting enough nutrition, 
pull him off early. Don't wait till he's down and can't get up, right? So identify, and good on their part, they identified that early that this calf is not the same as the others. You pull him off, you do good nursing care. There's no drugs that you guys are recommending giving. You're recommending giving him good nutrition, make sure he's on the bottle, and is doing well. Philip, I want to ask you, as Bob described these dummy calves, is, is there a nutritional component to this? Is there anything we're worried about in that aspect? And I'm thinking the damn nutrition. Yeah, like you mentioned, there's, at this point, there's not a whole lot you can do making sure the calf has good nutrition. But possibly a way to, to reduce the incidence of having these calves is good damn nutrition through late gestation. Making sure that dam is getting enough energy, enough protein, and the enough vitamins and minerals that she is able to supply that fetus with all the nutrients it needs for proper development. And so that's that's the best thing we can do from a nutrition standpoint is making sure that dam is well nourished through late gestation so that that calf develops like it's supposed to. Yeah, I I appreciate what you're saying. You got to have good dam nutrition. That's that's exactly what you said, Philip. <laughs> that is what he said. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. No, I, I, I'm not going to repeat that. <laughs> so so when you're thinking about these calves, we talked about nursing care and some of the things that you would do. Is there anything different that you might do with this calf than, say, another calf that's a, a bottle calf? I think in the, they, they describe it as a small herd. So I don't, I don't know how big a small herd, but it just sounds like a small herd. I, honestly, I think just give him a little more attention, make sure he's doing okay. I don't know that I, in that situation, I'd do anything else differently. Yeah. And some of those, as Bob said, if it's oxygen deprivation during birthing, which we do see, it's not getting better. It is what it is. And he may or may not have be able to sustain. If it is some other things, there could be some things that he gets some good nutrition. He perks up and he does better. And it is very, very hard to tell in those calves that are less than a week old, for sure, They'll go through periods where they may look really bad, and it's hard to assess are they going to do well or not. The other thing I'd throw in is if you're concerned about where he is, have the vet come out, get a good physical exam. Because there are some things that you can see on a physical examination which may tell us, no, 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 I'm leaning this way versus this way. Yeah, I mean, you, you can have what's called septicemia, which is, you know, uh, an infection that's going through the bloodstream that can make the calf pretty, pretty sick. Um, there's some other things that we might be able to intervene on. Um, and so that this dummy calf name is kind of all-encompassing of any of these calves that just aren't doing all that well. And some of them we can do something about, and some of them we can't. Some of them, they do kind of outgrow it. As they get a little bit bigger and are on good nutrition, they, they certainly diminish in the, the negative attributes. So. And there's, there's some genetic things, there's some infectious things that, you know, if you see this pattern repeatedly, then it's, it's probably time to investigate. But I, I think if this is the first one, I'd probably just kind of assume this is a hypoxia at birth situation and, and move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't expect more than one of those. Yeah. So thank you guys also for expanding my vocabulary today. I've got stone hearts from Brian and dummy calves from Bob. So now, we've, now we know all the words to describe these lesions. Thanks for joining us. If you have questions, comments, you can always send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. Mm-hmm.